<clears throat> All right, everybody. Good morning. Good afternoon, whatever time it is, wherever you are. Getting some invites out now. I'm a little early this morning. I'm just sitting here ready to go. So I figured I'd try and get this live fucking popping off. And, uh, and yeah, we'd go from there. But um, we're having potent ponics come in today, guys. I'm super excited about this. There's certainly not a lot I know about this topic. So, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, to getting the info. Now, secondly, um, I'd like to let you guys know that, and I'll probably repeat this, but Potent Ponics did, did an interview on Growcast recently, which was an incredibly informative uh, interview. And they went into great detail on how or on why, what, uh, what makes growing with fishes so, um, so dope, so awesome. But now today, what up quad farmers? What up everybody? How's everybody doing? But today we are going to be, um, we're going to be talking more about build, more about how to set it up for a small, small, um, small grow for an at-home grower. So for now... I am just, uh, yeah, just letting everybody roll in. We're just kicking it. I'll take a bong toke here in a sec. And, uh, and yeah, we'll let Potent roll in. Oh, he's in here. Fuck. He's already in here. What a boss. What is going on? This is it. Go live with Potent. Go live with Potent. 10 o'clock. Good morning, everybody. So we're just waiting for your uh, for Steve from Potent Ponics to uh, to connect here. We're, I don't know what's going on. What up, homegrown? Sometimes the Instagram comes out a little laggy. So it's not connecting. Huh. Let's try again. Yeah. Good call. Good call. Go live with Potent. Trying again. Connecting. Steve, how's it going, buddy? Good. Trying to get my headphones to work. Are they problems? Okay. Well, if, if we have to ditch them, we can ditch them. No big deal. I can't hear you. Yeah, no audio. That hair is incredible. Fuck. <laughs> Love it. Okay, let's try this again. Go live with Potent Ponics. How about now? Can you hear me yeah. now? Yeah, fucking A we can. Sorry awesome, about that. Dude. 
No, don't be sorry. Dude, I love your mop. It's fucking wonderful Thanks. head of hair. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in the shower. I tie, I just tie it up lazily when I go in the shower. So. <laughs> How long are those things? I gotta know. Oh, here. And these are... That is fantastic. You have four inches, four feet. Yeah, four feet, maybe even some inches on that. That's wonderful, dude. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, do you want to uh, do you want to introduce yourself a bit? Tell us, tell everybody who you are, what you're about, um, and then we'll dive into it. Sure. So my, let me get my camera fixed here. Hold it. There we go. Um, so my name is Steven uh, from Potent Ponics. Most people call me Steve Dredd. And um, uh, so I, I, my specialty is aquaponic cannabis. Uh, I've been growing cannabis most of my life, over half my life at this point. But um, I, I've been working commercially since 2010 in the, in the legal space. And then I've been working sp almost exclusively with aquaponic cannabis since 2013. Um, and... Uh, I used to work for the aquaponics source and head up research and development back when I used to work there. Uh, after that, I formed my own consulting company, did work in Jamaica, Zimbabwe, South Africa, Canada, wow. um, a couple other places in the Caribbean, and then um, across the U.S. So um, my specialty is really um, uh, kind of aquatic soil, uh, as I like to call it. frozen we got some lag okay so we had some lag there um but that's fine i think it was uh yeah it totally makes sense do you want to tell everybody what aquaponics is sure so aquaponics is utilizing fish and fish waste in order to um, unlock the the minerals from the fish manure uh, and utilize that to grow your your plants as naturally as possible so uh, we can get a, a huge amount of um uh, if my connection is shit, I can try switching connections. It seems to be fine right now. Okay. Yeah, yeah the, the internet out here isn't the best, but uh, if it isn't, I can switch to the, the phone line. Okay. Um, um, but yeah, so aquaponics is, is basically a different way to grow. Uh, it's kind of like organic hydroponics and um, utilizing fish waste, I guess is the simple way to put it. Uh, but we... Um, uh, can grow much faster. So the plants and veg grow twice as fast. Plants and flower can flower up to 15% faster. Uh, I'm sure there are ones that will flower even faster than that, but that's just, you know, 7 to 15% pretty consistent. Yeah. That's uh, cool. Why, um, why it happens faster? Is there, is there explanations for that? I switched to the yeah, uh, phone line. Now we're on the phone network, Perfect. so it, the Wi-Fi, so it, it should. Lag on us. Yeah, we'll see if this is better. <laughs> okay, cool. So the question was, um, is there an explanation for that extra, uh, that faster growth? Yeah, so we get a, a faster gas exchange by doing flood and constant flood and drain in the bottom half of the root zone. So we'll utilize this cup for an example. So we fill our pots about halfway. Make sure it's in line with the camera about halfway 
The bottom half is hydrogen or lava rock, you know, commercial scale lava rocks cheaper. Um, and then in the upper half, we have soil. And then in the middle of the pot, we use burlap. And uh, what we do is we flood and drain the bottom portion of the pot, and that acts like a diaphragm that causes high gas exchange. So when the water goes up, it forces the air through the upper part of the pot. And then when the water goes down, it drafts air through the pot. Yeah. So you get yeah. forced lung action in the pot and you get that increased gas exchange. And that is a huge factor in increased growth rate. Um, you see similar things in aeroponics and hydroponics for similar reasons. Um, when you get that hyper gas yeah. exchange in the system, it, it increases growth rate. Um, we also uh, have uh, cool. minerals as well. So we have uh, a much more biodiverse, 168% on, in terms of species, more bio, on average, more biodiverse than, than your average soil. Uh, you know, good, good, healthy soil. So we have a lot more microbes that can deliver those nutrients faster. So we don't need to have super high quantities of nutrients because they're always hyper available. They're always available in their, you know, almost maximum amount um, uh, at all times. So you don't have to worry about slamming and getting super high PPM numbers because it's constantly in that, you know, uh, available state. That's very cool. Uh, yeah. Now, I wanted... Someone, someone in chat asked, is this done okay. with organic? Uh, we, we do both organic and non-organic certified facilities, or at least I do. Um, uh, personally, I think organic is a waste of time. I know there's a lot of people are going to hate on me for saying that, but um, I think that you should grow organic in practice. You know, we can all, we want to grow healthy medicine and use good inputs and, and no one disagrees with that factor. But organic cannabis doesn't get any more money than good top shelf uh, at least that I've seen at retail. Yeah. Um, the reason to get organic on a commercial scale for anything is to get an increased price point on your crop. Okay. I can yeah. still grow Dem Pure certified or some other certification that's, you know, in my opinion, far more valuable in terms of what I'm actually doing at my farm in terms of being part of the solution, not part of the problem, than with some uh, uh, rigmarole organic certification that the, you know, Andre people are pushing through that honestly has nothing to do with food safety or organic inputs at all. And a great example yeah. is why should the tabletop of where you clean your, your vegetables at or harvest your vegetables have to be the same pH as your tap water? That makes that has nothing to do with food safety at all. This is just BS. Like yeah. the, the, it's simply a tax so that they can force it to be large producers only. They want to put a gate on who can actually have access to the organic market. They, they, they because you know, and then we see this too with aquaponics. They come after aquaponics saying it's not organic. Uh, and we went into the the hearing. They they came after us at the USDA, and we came in there with a hearing, and we had a stack of books that was about as tall as a you know a, a secretary uh, uh, of paperwork uh, to back up you know the uh, the science side of our stuff. And they did they had like three pages to say, yeah. oh well, it's not connected to the earth. Well, you know what? That doesn't matter. Like, what does that have to do with anything? Like, you're just, you, it, it's what I like to call the religion of organic, which is just has nothing to do with the actual science at all. Like putting yeah. crystals in the roots and all this other happy horse shit that just magnets and Keegan water and all this other just, yeah, it makes you feel good, but there's no science to it, right? It's all just BS. So, um, uh, and I, when I worked at the aquaponics source, we'd have people come sell us these products all the time. They're like, we'll try all this. We'll give you one, you know, water spinners and, uh, you know, yeah. all types of, you know, yeah. 
little statue of uh, St. Francis and everything else. Um, <laughs> um, but, um, uh, you know, to me, that's, you know, there, there's no, there's no money in it. You know, you're looking at a minimum investment of 30 to $40,000 for most farms in order to get organic certified. And that's, yeah. and, and that money is, is the labor for the, the paperwork input. You know, it costs money to hire someone to do the data entry that has to be done or you're not compliant. And then the fact that you're going to have to set aside portions of your farm physically that are, um, you know, strictly OMRI certified and nothing else can happen there, period. Yeah. You can't, you know, it's basically a, a, an area that's only utilized during that time and giving up square footage at a cannabis facility is not, sense. yeah, nobody yeah. wants to do this, right? So like no. you're, you're, you're screwing yourself in a lot of ways by doing it. I'm not saying you shouldn't do organic practices. I'm not saying you shouldn't grow organically, but you know, going after the certification is a complete waste of time. In cannabis, in the United States at least, it's illegal, right? You can't do USDA certified organic anywhere in the United States for cannabis. You can for hemp, but not for, for THC cannabis. So until the feds change their law, why, why would you tax yourself when, when you yeah. can, and I'm not saying it in terms of don't use organic input, I want to repeat that, but yeah. tax but yourself with, with an artificial itself trying to get something that you can't get in the first place. Yeah. Okay, so um, someone in the comments, your homegrown bud, he wants to, well, since we're on the subject, he asks, can you touch on terpene percentages in salt versus organics and then versus aquaponics? Sure. So um, we've noticed huge differences in terpenes uh, compared to when, when doing side by side. So when I worked at the aquaponics source, the first thing we did, we didn't even come out and say we could grow aquaponic cannabis until we could at the very least match our general hydroponic controls. Right. So until we could at least yeah. match what we could do in soil, we don't know how to do it. Right. As far as I'm concerned. And there's a lot of aquaponic people that just grow, grew lettuce and then suddenly know how to grow weed. And there's about 30 to 40 percent of my consulting clients. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like it, but, you yeah, know, they're missing people a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but. Um, uh, so we found is that in straight hydro, you get a much lower terpene expression. And there's a great, great article on this, on how the microbes directly affect terpene. That, um, that was just released on medicinal genomics. Um, medicinal genomics, Kevin McKernan over there released a really wonderful paper about how certain microbes are, are directly responsible for terpene synthase. And without them, you don't get it. <laughs> We've observed this night and day doing aquaponics, uh, hydroponics versus aquaponics with media bed and aquaponics with strictly DWC versus aquaponics <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. with the dual root zone, with the soil. With the soil, we can break 2% almost 100% of the time, no matter the cultivar, without even really pushing it, right? Like, like stuff that most people are really having to crank for. But we, I don't know if we've had, it's probably been about two years since we've had a COA that was under 1.7. Uh, with the dual root wow. zone. So um, it's just, it crushes it. I mean, we've had stuff in the three, four, even 7% ranges, you know, super, super ultra high. Although the seven was a lab test uh, and a CO artificially uh, increased CO2 zone that you, you wouldn't want to, you know, it's not practical for commercial purposes. It was a proof of concept for an IP thing, but um, you know, you can get some pretty stupid numbers. You know, we have, I have a COA that's, you know, in the teens um, from a, from an experiment wow. we did. Um, that I've shown yeah. a few people in the team mm -hmm. for terpenes. Yeah. Wow. But again, this is, this is all like not practical for any type <laughs> of application. This is strictly R and D and, and sure. weird things mostly having to do with 
slamming um, uh, hormone. So we're taking um, isolated uh, compounds from other plants um, via organic methods of so fermenting mainly, uh, and then adding the, the adding them to the plants at certain times in order to, to boost certain things. And we're try uh, the goal I'm trying to get to with that is to do uh, pest control. So if I can slam the, the ultimate goal of that is so that if I can slam the mold resistance or slam the bricks or slam whatever it is at the moment that you need to slam it uh, within a couple of hours, you can really push out a lot of these pests, you know, without, you know, having to actually apply hardly anything in terms of, of actually, you know, a, a toxic, something that's going to be toxic to the, the insect or the pathogen. So for instance, we use phycocyanin all the time to, to you know, as a, as a basically an organic PGR to, to slam growth rates, um, which is your, your, wow. you know, building block for your chlorophyll groups uh, and we, we get that from spirulina and kelp right like we talked about that in, on my on my show and stuff with the super labs i'm gonna be doing a video series on, on a bunch of knf here in a, in a couple of weeks so at least a couple of methods Wonderful. not every yeah i mean you only have so much time right so you gotta yeah you gotta balance your, balance your project I'm trying to be better this year about having like one pre-recorded video and one live video each week this this year so nice Nice. Good. That's a, it's, it's always awesome to at the beginning of the year, write down some goals for your, for your content creation and, and try and, and, and knock them off. I really like that. Um, so, so you're thinking you're going to try and do a live video every week. Oh yeah. So, so we do the podcast, the growing with fishes podcast. We already do a show every Thursday. Um, and then we occasionally will do shows on Tuesdays nice. and Saturdays, depending on, uh, you know, sometimes you have a guest that's, you know, on a weird country or something and we need to get them on the weekends. Yeah. Yeah. You got to, as a podcast host, there's definitely, um, what's the word adaptations you have to do to, uh, to be able to get people on. Um, now that being said, I wanted to, wanted to say that, so for, I know that your experience is mainly commercial, but for most of my audience, um, we're all just like either, uh, Canadians or Americans mainly all growing at home, you know? And so I know as a Canadian, I can grow four legally, um, without any licensing or whatsoever. So I was curious if maybe we could talk about maybe setting up an aquaponic sure. system for four people, just kind of, or for four plants, just for, um, yeah, kind of cradle to grave, like see, so we sure. can teach people how to do it themselves. Sure. So I think the easiest way, especially if people are a little bit familiar with cannabis already, um, you know, if you already have a flood and drain tray or a grow tray or something like that, you can go to your uh, local pet store and get a uh, overflow box for a saltwater aquarium and slap that on your aquarium. You can get a tough tote from your from your hardware store or just a Rubbermaid tote, you know, big plastic tote, 40 gallon, 30 gallon, whatever size you need for your reservoir for your, your flood and drain beds. Uh, and then um, uh, get, you know, at the same pet store, get a, get a replacement pump uh, on the pump feed, put a Y, and then you can run that to your fish tank and then run that to your, uh, your beds or even just run it on a separate timer and a separate pump altogether. You know, if you already have a flood and drain kit, you know, just go grab the flood and drain box and you're good to go, you know, and, and a Y so you can run the return back to the fish tank and you're, you're good to go. That's the simplest way. You can get it at any pet store, um, Petco, PetSmart. Um, I don't know what chains you, I think you guys have big owls and uh, what Pet else? PetSmart's up here too. PetSmart's okay. up here. Um, that's like the main one. Yeah, PetSmart. Yeah, so so you can get those, and, and eShops is the name of the company that sells those overflow boxes. You can build your own too, but um, you can buy them for pretty cheap online. 
Um, but that would be the, the simplest way. The alternatively, you could always get a concrete mixing tray uh, and and uh, a flood and drain kit and um, and a tough tote at your hardware store or your local hydroponic store, um, and, and away you go. And and you know just basically put the fish in your reservoir and treat it like a hydroponic system. Um, the biggest okay. issue that people have is the iron gets depleted, calcium and potassium. Those are the big things, are the things that get depleted first, mineral wise. Okay. Uh, and the other thing that's important with aquaponics is making sure you have a good micronutrient base. Um, if you dose um, with micronutrients, you know, you're going to need some type of myco base, but be careful with dosing um, kelp over time in aquaponics. We, like others have said um, in their soil testing, we've had similar things with uh, arsenic and a couple of other um, heavy metals and uh, elevated levels of boron where we've had to uh, the boron to calcium ratio ended up getting out of reach because people uh, horribly overdose with kelp extract because they're told that that's something that's safe or C90 uh, people overdose with it and they don't understand that there's a lot of heavy metals in it. Same thing with, with glacial rock dust. People tend to overdo it and um, you're seeing it now, not so much with people on the home grow scale, but at a commercial scale, people failing testing. Okay. Okay. So now, um, um, if they're looking for nutrient kits, you can go to, uh, and I'll plug my website real quick on here, uh, apmjnutes.com. We have uh, all the aquaponic cannabis nutrients you need that are all fish safe. They're labeled with correct dosing for veg and flour. For aquaponics, you can dose up to double what the label says without killing anything. You can dose more than that, but I will tell you comfortably you can dose that. Uh, <laughs> and um, uh, it kind of makes it simple so that you don't have to, to guess or anything like that. So if that's something that you, you are wanting, uh, we do have very low cost options for, for aquaponic nutrients there. If you're you know, struggling or, hey, you see you have a deficiency, but you don't really know what you can use without killing your fish, we got all your answers there. Awesome. So is it apmjnutrients.com? Is that what you said? Uh, apmjnutes.com. Nutes. So like N-U-T-E-S? Correct. com. Yep. I'll throw it up here in the comments and we'll pin it at the bottom. Cool. Boom. There we go. Okay. So that's awesome. That's really cool. Now I actually want to quickly, cause you, you, uh, you mentioned something that I have a, a homie who's actually going through an issue right now. I want you to talk about that kelp extract because sure. it's, cause I definitely know um, a, a few people who are willing to just give it all the time. But if that's causing issues, I'd like you for you to touch on that. Yeah, so kelp is really good. It's filled with auxins and hormones and all types of other plant goodies, and, uh, as well as many compounds that are in simpler forms that can be utilized to help the plants. We regularly use it as part of our ferments and integrate it as part of our KNF recipes. Um, my personal recipes for KNF are radically different um, than a lot of other people's. Uh, because okay. we're dealing with aquatics. So, yeah. um, but one of the other things that we've noticed with aquatics with Korean natural farming is lactobacillus is antimicrobial against pathogens. So we can actually use, utilize lactobacillus to treat both pathogens such as external fungal infections and, and even fin rot. Um, but we can also use, utilize it to treat E. coli and salmonella. There's three facilities now that have been aquaponic facilities that had non-human pathogenic salmonella, the same kind you find in your soil all the time. Um, I'm sure most soil growers have it in their grow. Um, we were able to utilize lactobacillus to treat that aquaponic system and, and eliminate that so that we didn't test hot for it anymore. Uh, and that's three, three times now as large as 120,000 gallons we've treated that. So 
um, you know, if you are struggling with a pathogen issue, um, it, again, uh, lactobacillus is going to be a great option. Don't use it late in the flower. It will screw up your trichomes. The, the okay. extremely acidic environment of that lactobacillus can, can dissolve the skin of your trichome heads and, and um, leak out some of your, you know, wonderful resin that you're trying to preserve. Um, they also can have some negative interactions with um, other portions of the, there, there's other chemical interactions that are a problem as well that would take too much to get into, but um, don't spray it on your plowers, plants once they set trikes, basically is the point. Yeah. Um, okay, up so until then, it's great, and it's great for the root system. That's awesome. I love that. Now, um, what I was going to say is, uh, we went over the Chris is in here. Word. Word. Um, so let's, uh, or, we were talking about the build. Now, I'm wondering if you, uh, on any of your platforms or, or anything like that, if you have a video of yourself setting up a small aquaponics system for people so to go watch. I don't actually have one currently of a small system. It's, it's something that I'm actually currently working on. I actually received so, two, two separate um, aquaponics. I have an aqua sprouts, and then I have a, uh, oh, you know what? Hold on. I don't want to get this guy's name wrong because he's a really nice guy and they support what he's doing. Uh, hold on a second. That's fine. And then, okay, so once you find the answer. Uh, just learn. What's the website here? Just learn to IO and then just grow to IO. Okay. Are the, is the other uh, the other kit that I'm, I'm going to be doing a small system on. These are small, like four gallon, five gallon systems that you could do like a single plant with a hydro, you know, with a little bit of hydro news. Um, you know, nothing crazy, you know, but great for a kitchen or, or something like that. Interesting. That's awesome, man. Now, um, what's a good fish, a good starter fish for somebody who, you know, doesn't really know how to take care of a fish, but can still end up, you know, pulling this off? Sure. So the three most bulletproof fish are going to be goldfish, uh, koi, and tilapia. Now, tilapia. if you're doing a really small system uh, uh, in your house, you know, you can go with um, grommies. They're going to be another great one. You know, any of the labyrinth fish, if you're into tropical fish. Um, they're okay. going to also be a very good option. I would explicitly avoid catfish, scaleless fish, uh, rays, um, eels. Uh, avoid those at least until you're much more experienced because they they don't have scales. So if you screw up your nutrients, they're going to die at a much lower overdose rate accidentally than, you know, say a scaled fish. I see. Good to know. Very, very good to know. Um, <clears throat> okay, so now... Um, as far as as far as the build, do you think that um, do you think that going with the with the gas exchange system at home would be the way to go with the burlap and all that the 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 rocks underneath? Absolutely, yes. I think that that setting them up in a dual root zone pot, even if you just did it in a Dutch bucket that was plumbed to your fish tank, you know, on a super basic level, yeah. uh, would 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 work just fine. Um, I, you really do need to have that soil zone so that you can, you know, if I need to dose soil nutrients or something, I need to dose the potassium. You know, if I have a heavy feeding cultivar, maybe a wedding cake or a, um, you know, something else that just really needs a ton of potassium. You know, later on in the second half of flower, uh, and and just keeps feeding pretty heavily all the way through. Um, you're definitely going to want to have that soil zone where I can boost that without affecting the fish in any type of negative way because um, potassium in particular can cause heart problems when you get up above about 100, 100 about 90 to 100, 
110 ppms, depending on fish species. Um, uh, above 125, it starts 130. It starts to really become a, a fish fish problem, and then, but wow. about 150, 180, you're going to start murdering stuff. So, um, so if you're if you're seeing a, a potassium deficiency, you gotta you gotta feed it in the soil, not into the fish or through the fish through the water, because you you know, you'll kill the fish. Yeah, or, you know, you can dose the water up to a point, but you can't, yeah. you know, at that point you have to stop and then switch about how it's going in. And and, and as most cannabis growers know, we're, I think most of us now are moving away from foliars entirely. Uh, one, they don't, on, honestly, if you wash the plant and actually test the tissue, which we did extensively at the aquaponics, I can't tell you, probably at least eight or 12 different products we did foliar testing with, yeah. none of them did anything. Very few of them had all, any actual PPM, you know, difference in the actual tissue itself. Uh, very few of them did. Um, the only product that ever had a huge response rate um, in terms of like off-the-shelf stuff, Mammoth P uh, made an immense difference in the availability of, of phosphorus uh, in the aquaponics system. And I think anyone growing aquaponics would be stupid not to use it because it basically makes, makes it so you don't have to dose phosphorus at all. You know, you can just dose that instead and then increase the bioavailability of the fish's phosphorus uh, utilizing that microbe and, and, and get, you know, everything that you need out off the bat with, with just that combo. I'm curious if you've tried microbial mat. Microbial mat? Yeah, mass. Mass. I have not tried yeah, that one. They they're relatively newer to the market, um, but they uh, they're Canadian. So at least uh, mammoth pea is very difficult to get in Canada, as far as I know. So that's what I've been using in uh, in place of it, and it's been wonderful. That is another beer. Sorry. Is that, is that another phosphorus solubilizing yeah. bacteria? Yeah. So here, I'll grab the bottle. <clears throat> It unlocks phosphorus and micronutrients to max maximize yield. Oh, so, cool. Yeah, yeah. You should check them out, man, actually. Or, or I might even have a, a bottle I can send you. Heck yeah. yeah. We got a question in chat. What do you need to test your water regularly? Um, so if you want to, on a basic test, you, know, you can go get an aquarium test, freshwater uh, uh, master test kit from API. You can get it at literally any pet store anywhere on the planet. Uh, even in Africa, I was able to find them. Um, uh, and, uh, you're going to test the pH at least, you know, once a day or, or every three days, if, depending on how well you know your system. Until you know your system, check it once a day. Okay. Once you know how your system is going to behave after a while, you know, then you can back off of that, you know, to what's comfortable. But, um, uh, you know, I would highly suggest doing that. And then nitrogen. So you're going to test your ammonia, your nitrite, and your nitrate. And your main thing is to drop your nitrates in, in flour. So one of the biggest things that I see wrong with a lot of my competitors, um, uh, there's, there's Nelson and Pay, there's Symbiotic, there's some other people, they push and way overfeed in flour. And their recommendation is more feeding is more nutrients. They need it for flour. They got to boost it. That is totally true, except for nitrogen. Nitrogen will inhibit flour production. It will inhibit flour size and will also um, cause your plants to stretch and become much more larfy than they should be. You won't get those nice dense buds that the dispensary owners want. Mm -hmm. So um, you have to start, you know, you don't going into flour, you don't want to ever more than 40 or 50 ppm's nitrates, and you want to drop that as you go into flour. So at the end, you should be finishing up, you know, around 10 ppm's, um, you know, at, at the end, so, and then incrementally dropping off as you go through flour. Because um, if you don't, the other thing I'll also notice is even if everything else is fine, and your nitrate's too high, it increases the chlorophyll content of the plant, and you can taste it, and you know, it has that, that grass, hay kind of 
you know, almost like it wasn't quite aged right, but it doesn't ever quite go away. You know, you ever have that happen? I had was my first crop. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that the soil guys really struggle with is how do they drop that? And the easiest way is to plant a ton of cover crop or a ton of like um, sprouts, you know, that type of thing that can just immediately like uh, emerge and start sucking nitrogen. Um, yeah. um, leafy green, watercress, um, you know, these are all things that will plant, you know, a week or two before flower um, so that they're emerging and then pulling nitrogen uh, as a cover crop, you know, once we flip those plants. And so just to, for, for anybody who's a novice, what's a cover crop? Sure. So we actually plant some additional crops in our pots below, next to the cannabis. Um, we give the cannabis a little bit of time to get started, and then we, 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 you know, we'll, we'll pepper in some plants after that. And the reason that we plant uh, additional crops is because cannabis can only house, to date, I believe, what is it, three different mycorrhizal species um, that have been officially documented. I know there's... I think seven or eight that are unofficially, but officially like only three. Uh, so um, you want to um, um, increase that, right? Because um, uh, I, I guess to zoom out uh, a second, the, the reason why we do this is because cannabis or any plant exchanges minerals for sugars with the microbial environment. It doesn't matter if it's mycorrhizae or bacteria or archaea or protozoa, whatever. They're exchanging sugars or some other commodity for minerals mm -hmm. um, when we have a um, uh, cover crop okay we can have more uh, fungal networks more bacterial species more archaea species because they live uh, as endophytes or ectophytes they live in or outside of the root system um, and uh, help the plant uh, provide minerals for itself now those different fungi and bacteria and endophytes and ectophytes can exchange things between each other No. No, that was so good. We'll get them back. I know it was so good. <laughs> we'll get them back. Don't worry. Very, very, very smart men. It appears he's not in here even anymore. Maybe his phone died. That happens. Well, everybody, I, uh, I think it's time for a smoke break. <laughs> He was on a roll. He was. <clears throat> hey, what up, Grizz? How's it going, homie? He's back. Woo! How's it going, buddy? Go live. <laughs> I apologize. 
like I said, I live in the fucking boonies of Oklahoma right now uh, since I got back from Africa. So, Dude, it's all good. This happens more often than you'd think. There's one time with I actually interviewed Mike Rovero Mass and my power was out. So uh, we couldn't do it. You know, we had to move it later in the day. So it's okay, man. It's, it's- I was living in the desert and we were about to do a podcast and the police, the border patrol chased a bunch of people that were, had just crossed the border. <laughs> they rolled their pickup truck into the power pole directly in front of my house. And I was like all live. I had the guests in and then power went out. <laughs> and there was nothing we could do for two days. Oh <laughs> yeah, you can so even explain to the audience what happened or, or your guests. That's so fucking funny. Oh, I used to live out in a commune out in the desert on the border of Mexico on the Tecate Divide. That's badass. <laughs> Yo, somebody said uh, they're, they're living the sober life and loving it. I actually, uh, today is day one of year two clean for me. So I, yeah, I've been, uh, yeah, sober for a year now. Today. Oh, yeah. Congrats. Hopefully not sober from weed. No, no. That's the only thing <laughs> that gets me through. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was a, I was a, actually a cocaine addict for fucking like over ten years, man. And, okay. Yeah, live musician, like all sorts of party, and and yeah, yeah, gave that shit up a year ago, and then COVID hit, music had to stop, and I started this podcast. So yeah, here well, we are. COVID, COVID really put a put a dent in a lot of the uh, the imports too, hey? Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I was already clean before COVID hit, though, which was nice. <laughs> It just makes it easier, right? Yeah, it definitely <laughs> did make it easier, for sure. Because if I was alone fucking trying to figure this shit out while I'm getting clean, wow, that would have sucked. But, um, okay, so to circle back to what I was yeah. saying, basically, um, so plants, think of it like a stock exchange, right? So the plants exchange currency, which is sugar, so cash, money, sugar, okay, in this analogy. Love it. And then they're exchanging it for commodities, minerals. Now, the cannabis plant can only have access to three markets because it only has three mycorrhizae fungi that can, that can do it. There's main, one primarily, but there's two secondary ones. Um, and then there's others as well, but that's secondary. So uh, the other crops, if I had purslane, clover, um, uh, thyme, uh, you know, oregano, and other things that have lots and lots, or grasses, grasses all have wide ranges of mycorrhizae. Um, okay. These can have, you know, enormous impacts in terms of increasing the amount of minerals that you can suddenly mineralize because they can exchange the sugars from, from the plant through their different networks and then come back with commodities that they wouldn't normally have access to, especially when you get into micronutrient deficiencies or soil that's kind of weird, maybe uh, less traditional or hasn't been mineralized enough or is more glacial or just something that's not quite perfect. Um, relying on that type of diversity and it is going to uh, help um, uh, provide for some of those mineral deficiencies that you would otherwise run into. Okay, so cover crop. Yeah, I see. So essentially, um, it's, a, it's a way to use less than desirable soil or take less than desirable soil and kind of help guarantee good results. Uh, not not strictly for less than desirable soil, but just to maximize the mineralization of your okay. given soil. Okay, I guess so it's you, could, you would still do it with uh, the optimi- optimal soil. Absolutely. Yeah. Even if I had perfect soil, I would still okay. do it just to maximize yield. Good to know. Okay. So um, <clears throat> now I actually have an interesting question. I have a buddy who is very interested in aquaponics and whatnot, and he actually used to um, take care of and sell breed fish. 
Now, have you ever done something like that where you're using the fish that, that you're breeding and selling them and then also growing cannabis with it? And, and Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What, and in fact, a lot, a lot of the people that I work with are people that are in highly competitive markets that have limited licensures. So Illinois, for example, I worked with the project. We ended up abandoning it because of the taxation rates and moving them into Oklahoma. But um, originally, there was a group I was working with in Illinois and um, again, that was one of their biggest advantages was that, you know, we can come in, we can donate a percentage of the fish to the local community. We can provide, you know, food and medicine for the local community. Same reason why I got involved in Africa. You know, yeah. they invited me over there because not only could we provide medicine for the people, we could provide food for the people. Food, yeah. And we would provide medicine and food on the same property where we grow, you know, we could grow cannabis. You know, it, it is, you know, game changing, not only in terms of licensure, but just you know, greed for good, like this plant was put on earth to, to heal and help people. We need to do that through action, right? So we should always, if we can ever find a way to do that. So aquaponics is a way to feed people and, you know, love the plant at the same time. And we can, we can provide more for people by doing it this way than we could if we, if we didn't. And, you know, that, that really is the heart and soul of the plant when it comes down to it. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, forgive me for, my like uh i don't entirely remember the term but there's something that happens with living soil where we are um we're we're limiting uh the carbon that is in our uh, carbon sequestration yes now does does aquaponics uh play a role in that as well like does that so, is it also so we can scrub carbon sure so we can definitely utilize um uh, aquaponics now uh, i can tell you that for about 10,000 square feet of a growth space, we are, uh, because of the fish waste and the other composting that we do with our final, anything that we can't use, we compost or turn into soil. We generate around 2,000 pounds of living soil per 10,000 square feet uh, of growth space in aquaponics per year, which is really insane. <laughs> That's insane. That's a commodity itself, too. Exactly. And it's something, you know, it's, it's one more revenue stream on, on your farm. You can sell mineralized fish water. You can sell just the mineralized fish waste dehydrated as a, as a tea amendment. You can sell it as a soil amendment. You can, you know, uh, sell, sell the soil itself. You know, you can, you know, that you have, at, at, you know, once you have your leftover leaf material, or anything that you just can't utilize for, 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 for fermenting or for, for other mineral processes. So you end up with all these other revenue and the fish as well, you know, so you have, yeah. and the cannabis, right? So, so by the time you actually get to selling the cannabis, you've already paid for at least half your bills right yeah. so like it, it makes your margins really nice as well so you know and, and not only that you can feel good about it you have a really good story um when the news wants to come to a piece on you or, or your local ecology people want to come in you're part of the solution not part of the problem yeah. uh, local police departments fishing game love to work with you because you're not putting stuff into the rivers you're not poisoning the ground you're not poisoning the water table you're not becoming a problem for the water department because they have to deal with a lot of these hydroponic guys and people don't realize this they have to do mineral mitigation at the point of the water treatment treatment plant would mm -hmm. be dumping you know 1500 ppms of who the fuck knows what into your drain because you screwed up the hydro mix that's going somewhere someone has to mitigate that you can't just dump it in the river and yeah. and, and i think a lot of these municipalities and states that haven't legalized yet do not understand the costs on the utility end in terms of 
how much increased cost it is on both the power grid and the water grid the infrastructure. Uh, in terms of, of, of mitigating a lot of the commercial cannabis. Yeah. And I don't mean negative way, but it's something that we all need to work together to, to minimize the impact. And aquaponics is just part of that solution along with living soil and, and, you know, other types of solutions. I'm not saying aquaponics is the only solution living. I know I love doing living soil when we get to bigger stuff. I was just working in Africa. It's 750 acres. We were only doing four acres of aquaponics to supply the rest of the farm with with clones and seeds right so it can be part of a larger farm solution but you know not you know all of these are part of getting to a better tomorrow and, and getting the industry to something that's more regenerative and sustainable long term because frankly let's just be honest there's not enough water in the west to grow the way that we've been doing it no. period. period this isn't sustainable yeah yeah it isn't now that yeah this it, it reminds me of when i first heard about uh permaculture Another coffee break. I'd like to say thank you to everybody who's hanging out. Um, Pleasant Mountain Organics. Couldn't have put it any better, better myself, bro. Superheroes don't wear capes. You, do you see what? Uh, do you see what? I guess the trick is to, to switch, uh, switch which internet connection I'm using every period periodically. Apparently. That's okay, man. We'll get through this. It's not a big deal. Now, plant. Uh, Pleasant Mountain Organics said something really neat. I don't know if you caught that, but he said, "Bro, superheroes don't wear capes." And uh, and it sounds like these these sorts of projects, imp implementing them in the commercial scale, is 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 more than just bringing good medicine. You know, um, you're able to help on a on a way 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 bigger scale than just providing medicine. I think I make food, medicine too. What is that? So this is a sublingual powder I make in, in Oklahoma. Nice. So it's for seizure patients and people that need rapid pain relief, headache relief. I also do uh, make little Danky's cappuccino. We have lemonade, uh, hot chocolate, instant coffee, a whole bunch of stuff. So those are all uh, sublingual using... Um, medicated? Yep, all medicated. So this is 125 milligram uh, cappuccino. And then we have... Uh, these are 10 milligram or 50 milligram... Um, uh, sublinguals. Very cool, man. Um, so, I mean, I, I had a friend and we, we were talking about aquaponics the other day and he says to me, he goes, it's the future. It's the fucking future. Now, um, I think that the hardest part about it becoming the future is going to be convincing the guys who are growing quads with salt and, 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 and showing them like, Hey, listen, this is something that, that you might be able to implement implement and and like you said pay your bills with before you even have to sell the cannabis well and i think a lot of it too is okay so in the beginning of the market everyone um uh everyone was all about thc level thc level thc level well now it's thc level and terpene level so who has the highest thc and terpenes so if you come in with yeah. something above two percent two point five percent you just sold that product right? And aquaponics, that's what we excel at. Now, let's talk about why aquaponics has higher terpenes than almost every control that we run against. Because we have both the terrestrial microbes and the aquatic microbes. Now, how do microbes affect terpenes? Okay, so microbes affect terpenes by two ways. Uh, as seen in the, the paper posted this week by, by Medicinal Genomics, some of these microbes are directly 
creating the terpene synthesis themselves. They're creating a lot of the precursors the plant needs in order to build the rest of the terpene that it's been directly observed. Okay, so that's one method. The other method is that the, these plants produce terpenes in order to defend themselves from an, an, an environmental stimuli, be it a pest, a UV, wind, whatever, right? Like a XYZ. So how do we activate those genes on the plant's immune system to do that? We expose it to as much non-pathogenic microbes as possible to activate as much genes as possible. Now, there's heavy amount of research done on this in corn and soybeans and a couple of other things in order to um, further um, boost the um, um, uh, flavors and yields and stuff like that. And, and mold resistance is one big thing in corn. But um, this has been heavily observed in other crops, and we see it all the time in, in cannabis, and it's easily repeatable. Um, where When you diversify and have both a terrestrial microbiome and an aquatic microbiome, the amount of increase in, in, in immune system expression, gene expression in, in, under direct observation, this is stuff that I, I, I'm under NDA, so I can't talk about it too much. But I can tell you, at least on a broad spectrum, that it makes a huge observable difference that's so clear in night and day that it's just stupid. Very so cool. um, it's definitely some stuff that is kind of the future of it. And I think that you're going to start to see, you know, the same way that, you know, the last five years you've seen IMO become a huge thing with, with soil collection. I think aquatic IMO is going to be the next big rage because you can go to your local body of water and get a whole new pool of microbes that you never thought that you could utilize before that will help your garden just as much as the ones you collected underneath that tree. And, uh, you know, just in a wholly different way. And I think that that's, again, that along with um, uh, IPMO, which is utilizing insect frass or collected insects along with IMO collection to, in, uh, to collect local chitinase feeding microbes and insect predatory pathogens and things like that. So I think that utilizing a lot of this, you know, uh, trying to standardize a couple of different methods that maybe are more broad spectrum that need a little refining. If we're oh, no. Sad face. <clears throat> He's out in the sticks, everybody. It's all good. We're it's uh yeah. You're gonna bear with us on this one because this is fucking interesting. Um, but yeah, shout out to all y'all for sticking around. <clears throat> yeah, right at the fucking juice. <laughs> Been grinding oranges for five minutes. About to take a sip of that juice. <laughs> he just disappeared. Oh no, no, that's all good. He's uh he lives out in the sticks. He was saying out in the boonies, so. He's gonna have to be. Uh, we're gonna, yeah. Here we go. Go live. Just gives me time to smoke, and you too, right? <laughs> so, I uh, I wanted to say, man, this has been this has been a very very interesting interview, and just quick little thanks. This is awesome. Everyone's loving it. And these, these little breaks, whatever, no big deal. Fucking 
Dunk off of Wilder's back. <laughs> I did lose my train of thought, though. I don't know. Where was I? Okay, so you were talking about insect frass. Oh, okay. So <clears throat> um, the, the, the thing that I worked a lot with in Africa, so we kept having um, <coughs> grasshoppers were tearing up our shit. <coughs> they kept eating the Cambrian layer <coughs> off the plants about halfway up. So, well, <coughs> third to halfway up the plants are chewing all the bark off. Okay. Um, huge problem, obviously. <coughs> and we didn't really have a way to do it. Like, we don't have enough employees to just go handpick these things. I can't. There's not a single. <coughs> just in context, Zimbabwe doesn't have anything that I can legally use in the United States or Europe or, or Canada. Um, Paraquat. Is still legal there. Um, <clears throat> I remember walking into the hardware store in downtown Harare and um, <clears throat> immediately walking out because there was uh, about a 70 or 80 foot by 200 foot long row of ammonium nitrate. Wow. That's wild. Insane. Yeah. Completely insane. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> You know, no no regulation there at all. Yeah. So you can get anything under the sun. So we can't buy anything in country to treat these things. <laughs> now in the United in the US I like Nolobate. Nolobate's great for grasshoppers. It's a bacterial um <coughs> wonderful pathogen. Uh, you put them out like like rat bait. Okay. But um in Africa we didn't have that, right? And I can't get beneficial insects from South Africa because the virus is starting to come into effect then in, in the early last year and you're starting to be a little bit more restrictive about what you can, you know, how much you can go over borders and all that in terms of frequencies. <laughs> so couldn't do that because I just gone to South Africa. So we had to um, come up with a solution. Now I talked to Chris Trump, who hopefully he's still in the chat here. Um, much thanks to him because this has been a, a wonderful resource uh, that he shared with me um, is collecting the local insects. So we had the farmers uh, out there just collect you know, all the insects we could, we bought a bag of insect frass and we mixed the grasshoppers with insect frass about 30 to 35% <coughs> uh, in place of the rice in our IMO collection boxes. So it was about 30% insect and insect frass to 70% rice. Okay. We then cooked it the same way you normally would for IMO one. We then uh, put it into, um, uh, uh, turned it into IMO two. And then we took just that and water no um uh, no additional ingredients um uh, like you normally would for for LIMO uh, just that IMO2 and and water or uh, IPMO2 and water and then for, um just brew that overnight and then made a foliar spray okay. which is basically just the insect feeding you know the grasshopper feeding microbes that feed on their exoskeleton uh, we were able to utilize that to knock back that their numbers significantly in about 2 weeks uh, it, made a, it takes three to five days for them to like get infected once they first are exposed to it. But once that starts to set, you know, it really starts to rip through them. And it's something that you could comfortably spray around your garden. You could spray the bushes and the trees and everything around it because it's a microbe from that property. I'm not bringing in something foreign. Mm -hmm. I'm not bringing in something weird. It's something I've collected on site. Mm -hmm. Right, so there's no no danger of any type of negative environmental impact beyond the one that you're trying to create, you know. And, and eventually, because it's from there, it's going to achieve equilibrium anyway. You know, it's going to go back to how it was as soon as it wipes out its pathogen, or you know, its food source, its host. Right, so um, it's a way to locally. Now, it's not going to work 100 percent of the time, but it gives people in remote areas a new pest control weapon 
that they can make on site for the cost of rice and and sugar, wow. right? Yeah. And, and labor. Yeah, and the time. <laughs> and, and time, yeah. right? Yeah. So this is something that, like, you know, I can go to Africa, Europe, South America, Asia, and, and you can utilize. I don't, I don't need anything. You know, I can be anywhere on the planet and, and make this. This yeah. is why it's so wonderful as a, as a thing. And teaching these types of things and and getting this stuff out there for people that, that need it. Because I really, truly think that, that Korean natural farming and to a lesser extent broader natural farming is kind of the solution to our problems. Not this fertilizer shit. Not this chemical shit. How the hell is a, is a remote farmer in Bumblefuck Zimbabwe supposed to afford $2,000 in pesticides? Where the fuck is he going to get that money? Yeah. This gentleman, he gets four to $8,000 a year if he's lucky, yeah. right? He doesn't have money for that. You know, so, so we got to be reasonable. So this gives people stuff that they can make on site, that they don't have to rely on anyone but themselves, and they can pull off stuff and make money yeah. and, 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 just, and feed people and, and heal soil that's been fucked up. You know, if we're going to heal these farms, think, and this is something I didn't think about until I was in Africa, Tingenta, Monsanto, you know, Monsanto which yeah. is their new name, uh, has a stranglehold on Africa. Eight, 95% of the, the products in Zimbabwe were Syngenta. If it was pest control or wow. mineral or anything else, it was all through Syngenta. The seed, all the seed. I don't think I saw, other than what was traditionally grown or was air, straight heirloom and not sold in stores heirloom. I'm talking like you had to go get a stand and pull the seeds out and that kind of shit. Um, uh, there was no seed for sale that was not Syngenta that I personally witnessed in my whole time in Zimbabwe. Yeah. South Africa did, but not, 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 not Zim. Yeah. So, so, so think about it this way. A lot of these African countries have been given seed and fertilizer and pest control plans to, to, for those crops in order to feed people during famine and stuff. And, and that's a good thing, right? Like the, us trying to he, feed people is a good thing. How they went about it is terrible. Yeah. But the, the intention was very good. But it created these fields that are decimated because they're poisoned. The, the ground is fucked. The mineral balance is fucked. The, the, the pest residue is pest. You know, there's a lot of people in Zimbabwe that can't even grow cannabis on their, their farm that they own because it was formerly a tobacco field and they were spraying all kinds of stupid shit on there. Yeah. And even though it's been 30 years since the Rhodesian days or 40 years since the Rhodesian, I guess technically almost 50 now. Um, but anyways, even though it's been 40 plus years, you still can't use that soil because it cannabis is a bioaccumulator and it will accumulate that stuff. So this is problems I think you're going to start to see in, in, third world countries that start to come online into the industry that just haven't been addressed at all. And I think that utilizing things like natural farming and utilizing microbial heavy, heavy um, uh, uh, inoculations and things will help break that down and, and, and be able to restore these huge areas that are were otherwise very pristine or great grow locations if we can just get past that hurdle yeah. and the only way to do that is either through you know straight bio export of, of you know growing hemp and then exporting it that way physically and, and pulling it out of the soil or through microbial mitigation just breaking it down and breaking it out yeah which is wow okay so before we continue i just wanted to let the audience know that beside the comment thing at the bottom on the on the right hand side of that there's a little question mark and if you want to put some questions in there we uh to to direct to steve at the end of this conversation, we'll get to those as well. 
I forgot to mention that at the beginning. Um, but there was one in the comments that is, uh, yeah. So is there is there anyone playing with fish feed stocks as a way to manipulate nutrients or plant hormones? Uh, think like sure. the chitin content of cockroaches, etc. I don't know. Sure. So I haven't heard of anyone doing anything as far advanced as for as chitinase and, and, and that, but we have, I have done personally extensive testing on different fish species and then testing the PPM, so the waste that comes out the rear end, and then also mineralizing that and then testing that after, uh, again. Mm -hmm. So, um, for example, the higher the protein content or the more carnivorous the fish is, to simplify. No. Did it work? Almost. Did I get it in? Oh. Yeah. No? I think you did. Yes? I think you did. Yeah. All right. And you were saying... Uh, if I notice it cut out, I'll try to switch real quick. Yeah, um, I'm just bouncing between the two today. Okay, so, so the more carnivorous a fish is, the higher the protein, or the higher the, higher the protein intake, the higher the nitrogen output. Yeah. So carnivorous fish, you can use fewer carnivorous fish to grow more plants than it would for herbivorous fish. So it takes more herbivores than carnivores to grow the same number of cannabis plants, for example. That makes sense. Uh, but uh, what I like to do is have kind of both, ideally, if I'm doing a large commercial system, have both available. And what we do is we, we tie the sump tanks to the greenhouse bays or the flood and drain rooms. And then we uh, um, have the different fish, fish tanks and we can replumb the fish tanks to any system right so yeah uh via the valves so i can have the plants much more heavy with carnivores and and with um older fish and veg and then switch to younger herbivores and flower where i have le le much less nitrogen but a lot more phosphorus yeah. output because uh, herbivores wow. put out a lot more phosphorus in their way so by simply That's just valving around uh, and switching tanks between what's going to what room we have quite a bit of control over nitrogen and phosphorus um, without actually dosing anything at all that's mind-blowing that's very cool i fucking like that a lot you know cut costs too and again we're growing food for people at the same time so and there's all, all kinds of good things. And then we can utilize a lot of the excess um, plant waste and, and grow insects as well. I'm a big fan of dubia and hissing cockroaches um, and, and black soldier flies. Those three make are, are really the best if you're going to do long-term, large-scale, um, you know, uh, regenerative-type aquaculture because you can raise them in ludicrous levels and you can take, you know, restaurant waste and whatever else and, um, you know, they'll, they'll happily uh, plow through it, you know, no problem. Nice. And in Jamaica, we were doing jungle roaches and spirulina. I actually had a, a guy that used to be like a hardcore gangster. I'm sure he's, you know, roughed up or more of quite a few people. And the dude is a master spirulina grower now. You, think, you know, he's like a bonsai Zen dude. And he was like, that's a bit of a 180, but that's great retirement, I guess. Yeah, that's definitely the kind of 180 you want to see, though. <laughs> right? At least he went <laughs> he around with, uh, anybody. Yeah. Um, okay, so now I'm curious if you could, um, if you can tell us how to make in insect press. Just again, maybe just because I personally have never done it, and, and or anything like that. So. I've made insect frass from the insects that I've raised, but I've never. Uh, I've always just purchased it. It's super, okay. super cheap. 
you know, you can buy huge sacks of it for next to nothing. So it's not. All right. All right. Sorry. Maybe it's I regularly used that. for um, for animal feed and, and stuff like that and for, for agriculture. So it's not a. That's, I guess that's not what I meant. Um, like what you did with the grasshoppers. Um, <clears throat> sorry. So where you. Um, yeah, you use. The oh, that's how to make the IPMO. IPMO. Thank you. Yeah. Exactly. One one second, let me reply to this guy on chat here. Um, <clears throat> okay, so um, if you guys aren't familiar, so anyone that isn't familiar with this process, um, you know, look up IMO uh, on Chris Trump's YouTube channel. Uh, Chris Trump is really the the best. If you really want to. Smoke break. Ah, he's gone. Maybe I'll take a dab. I don't have my fucking electric rig in the car right now. So. Back. Boom. Damn redneck internet. They use beer cans and string, I tell you. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, if you guys aren't familiar with Korean natural farming, I highly suggest checking out Chris Trump's YouTube channel. And then when you're really ready to go down the rabbit hole, go take his live class. He also has an online class that he's launching this week or next week. So if you aren't aren't having to, can't get actually to the United States or anything like that, you know, definitely take the online class. I am about two thirds of the way through his online class. Uh, and it is very good. I'm very big. I like the new class he's doing. Um, but his in-person class really is the shit. Um, if you do get a chance to take it, uh, take his in-person class. You will definitely not regret taking it. It is, is, is a really wonderful thing. But definitely check it out and take his education if you really want to go down the can of rabbit hole. He really is the, the guru of gurus in that, in that realm. Nice. And that's, that's for KNF? Uh, for KNF, but specifically we're talking about IMO, which is indigenous microorganisms. So you create a wooden box as a few slaps from the bottom. Um, and what you're going to do is um, uh, also make sure you have chicken wire that you can pull over that and maybe have a, a loop that you can tie it off on or some other way to keep rodents out. You know, the goal is to keep mice and, and squirrels out basically. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, traditionally with IMO, you would collect rice. So you take rice, you give it a quick rinse, and then you're going to cook it in your pot for, until it's about 80%, 85% done, um, until it's like al dente pasta, as he, uh, Chris likes to say. Mm -hmm. um, um, and and um, uh, still a little bit hard, but mostly soft. Um, and then you're going to take that rice once it cools down, put it in your box, and then you're going to put that outside with your screen over it and a paper towel to keep your flies and stuff out of it. Uh, and then you're going to uh, put um, uh, put that out at the base of a, a, a forest tree or a layer, an area with lots of leaf litter or, you know, an area that, that's more natural that has a lot of fungi and, and plant growth and, and a more forested area. You're going to then uh, just pitch a, um, some type of rain cover over it, unless it's going to not rain, then you don't need it. But um, usually uh, it's best just to put some type of tarp. Now, I often just like that we have a lot of um, 
uh, dog food bags and stuff around here. I'll just take a dog food bag and put two rocks on it and call it a day just because I'm lazy. Um, it still allows some airflow to go in, you know, it, it tips up over the, over the box. It allows airflow to go through and it just keeps the rain off of it. Um, yeah. and you know, we don't have to buy anything, which is nice. Um, uh, so uh, I take that, I put that on there, and then it shields that from the rain. And then we just allow that to collect for about four or five days, and it collects the fungi, the saprophytic fungi, as well as many other um, uh, things from that local area and the, and the forest microbes. We then take that um, uh, once it's fully matured uh, for that period of time, and then we'll, we'll mix that 50% with um, brown sugar. We're going to weigh that uh, rice and fungi mix, and then we're going to weigh out um, uh, equal parts of uh, sugar plus about 5%, um, just to make sure it doesn't um, uh, go uh, uh, turn into alcohol or anything like that. Um, so we're going to uh, weigh out first our equal parts. We're going to mix that all around. Uh, and then we're going to weigh out about 5% more. And we're going to sprinkle that on top just to kind of make like a casing layer at the top of that once it's all mixed. And you'll notice it'll start off looking like rice and, and fungi with, with sugar on it. And after about two or three minutes, and I have a video of this on my YouTube channel, it turns into like a, um, almost like a, uh, uh, what's the, like a porridge or a pudding. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, like a like a hot oatmeal or something like that, like uh, it turns into this more liquidy kind of like sugary substance. Yeah, it's uh, almost like like pancake batter or something. Batter, yeah, okay. Uh, and, and it'll it'll turn into this kind of different substance once it gets you know oxygen lock all the 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 moisture lockout from the sugar and everything like that. So, um, uh, and then once we have that, we can seal the top off with with the sugar just enough to keep it from from going. Um, you know, turning over and then we're going to seal that and then label it and then let it sit for a minimum of five to seven days. And then it's good for up to two years after that. Wow. And what we like to do is label it and then we'll take it from the month. So we'll take, um, you know, two or three months before two or three months after, um, or, you know, a month or two or a month before and after, uh, and then, <clears throat> um, put uh, all that together. So we'll do a blend of, of IMOs um, for, for our, when we're doing our teas or our inoculations. You know, I can just take a teaspoon out of whichever big jar I want to, or we'll just take uh, a bunch of them, all the ones from January, and combine them into one big, you know, I like to use Cheesy Poof. You know, you go to, uh, was it uh, Walmart or your grocery store, and you get the big Cheesy Poof containers. Um, Everybody likes cheesy poofs. It's something nice that everyone can grab at lunch. And then we save the containers. And then uh, they are really, really nice for, for IMO containers just because they are, you know, cheap. They're airtight, easy to label, easy yeah. to clean. That's awesome, man. That's <laughs> badass. Now, this actually makes me wonder, when you're The doing... lid will burp. You know, if, if it does overpressurize, the lids burp. They don't explode like the gas, the glass jars. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like they have the, the little hinge on them, right? So they'll open themselves. Exactly. And then you can just look across the top. Ah, oh, something's wrong with that one. Chuck it. You know, it's yeah. not that it happens yeah. often, but it, it makes it simple. Yeah. And, and this is something I was talking to somebody this week. What I can do, being well-trained and experienced on it, is different than when I'm coming in as a consultant and I have to rely on someone that's never doesn't know what the fuck I'm talking about, just needs to repeat what I do, right? So there's a difference between – it's going to take him a little while until he's dangerous, right, and has experience. So, mm -hmm. you know, you just have to be able to get it, you know, coloring but simple or people have problems. For sure. Now that was gonna. That was actually gonna, or that relates to my next question. I was wondering if in Africa or when you're at these big facilities, 
you find that you're like your job is never ending because you have to go from place to place to continue to oversee all of these different uh like what i do is the biggest thing is just one making sure i can train one guy that knows how to do everything that can train everyone else uh, and then the other thing too is is that and this has been a problem in jamaica and in zimbabwe and it took a while and, and thankfully i had experience doing this in jamaica was dealing with language barriers so like in, yeah. in zimbabwe like um everyone speaks shona now shona as an english speaker is not for an african language is super easy like okay. super super easy um, if you look at how a word is spelled, you could get pretty, f- pretty fucking close. Have never, having never said a word of Shona, if you just looked at the spelling of the word English in, in English, you could at least stumble through it, and they could kind of get the gist of what you're saying, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it makes it really easy from that perspective, especially if if we're if I have some writing that we're trying to communicate through. I, it's we can stumble through it because I can get the gist of what they're saying, and especially once you have a bit of a background on at least the important words, it's real. You know, you can. It's it's not hard to learn. It's one of the, way easier than other languages I've had to learn before. Um, um, same thing with patois in Jamaica. It was pretty easy, but um, getting down to like IKEA stuff. So just doing videos of shit like fuck language, fuck you know, fuck trying to like get into some of the detail, showing them on a video that's on an unlisted YouTube that you can make a a library for them on. And then same thing with insect, insect and pathogen observation on a given area that's localized because it may, it's like no use for me to teach the dudes in like Zimbabwe, what a russet mite is or a broad mite because they don't exist in Zimbabwe, right? Unless till somebody brings them there. But right now they currently don't live there. Right. So why should I show them reference slides for that? It doesn't make any sense. But there's a whole bunch of shit there that's not here, right? And they, so, um, and, and, you know, no point in me showing that here, right? So, like, it's the same kind of shit. So, making your own, um, you know, localized library for your own farm or your own, even if it's just your own home grow, um, making your own little library. Anytime you observe anything wrong with your plant that's not perfect, take a picture because you might be able to go back and say, hey, that was actually the early onset of something I didn't even realize until four years later, you know, yeah. but I have really good reference pictures of it, you know, yeah. or, or, you know, something that you didn't even realize that you had that was, you know, valuable in terms of documentation or whatever. Or so, knowledge, yeah. If you get anything that's remotely not perfect, take a picture. You never know. Yeah. Cool, man. Now, I'm wondering if you have ever grown autos or what your – um yeah. yeah well like how you feel about them or what's your yeah what's your opinion on autoflowers so i think um i'm a big fan of um jeff lowenfeld's new book um i think that no fuck <laughs> see if he gets it switch out i'm gonna get super big during this live <clears throat> Yeah, you got it. This one's like, this is the problem with So, uh, autoflowers. So, I'm a big fan of Jeff Lowenfeld's new book. Uh, I think that autoflowers are particularly good for people that are newer to uh, cannabis growing, that just, you know, especially people that I work with with aquaponics. There's a lot of grandmas and grandpas and uncles and aunts. Oops, one second. A lot of 
grandpas and uncles and aunts and other, you know, people have uh, aquaponic systems and tomatoes and, um, you know, peppers, lettuce and whatever, whatever, but they, uh, you know, they like weed or maybe they grew, they smoked weed back in the day and they want to grow some now. Uh, and they can just toss that right in with their aquaponic system they already got going. They don't have to mess with the lights. They don't have to, you know, they're, you know, while not always the high yielders generally are, are, you know, a little bit more forgiving in terms of just getting to the ends uh, in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, although, um, and this is something that I'm curious, in my observation, I've found that uh, autos, and I, I'm assuming this is because they they get pigeonholed a little bit like CBD does, is that I seem to be a little bit more generally susceptible to PM, or is that just bad luck on my end? Yeah, I haven't noticed. I've never gotten PM. Okay, so that's so, that's just I, been I, a direct observation. Sure. I got it once. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, the other thing I think get, uh, get a bad name for size too. Well, no, I've seen really big. Like I personally yeah. seen some pretty monster autos, um, in o actually Me in too. Oklahoma. Me too. But uh, but. That wasn't until about two years ago. I think before then they were pretty far, few and far between uh, until recently, though. I'll definitely say that. But I also think that there's a big, I think longer term, I think autos will be uh, a bigger role in um, uh, uh, these hurry up um, harvests for outdoor, right? So you have, you know, the, you can run two or three harvests in Canada. Um, so you could run, you know, more runs per year or, Hey, you know, we have an Indian summer or we have really good long-term weather projections, fuck it, throw it in the ground, you know, for, especially if you can get, you know, a, a good deal on the seed, um, you know, buffer crop <coughs> take the dabs yeah so how quick you can come back to it well so it connects what's funny is like it freezes and then it like disconnects and then it immediately jumps and then it's just you and then I'm like frozen or not there and it just goes to your full screen and then you can't see my chat. I can type whatever I want. You won't see it. I have to disconnect and then drop back to your original link and then reconnect in order to get it to actually Strange, get you to see me. Yeah. I don't know. Well, we're whatever. I'm, it's all good. Um, but so I think that autoflowers, you know, again, I could plant them super early, super late. It wasn't until really this week that we actually had any type of serious cannabis death weather in southern Oklahoma, right? So we could have had a whole other run that we planted in October yeah, and pulled down this week, you know, or, or you know, at the end of December, uh, you know, planted in September, brought down in December or something like that that would have finished, right? So, like, maybe not ideal, but 
it'd be enough to profit. Yeah, or at least maybe mm-hmm. wash it all hash and and go that route with it or something, right? Oh, yeah, you blast it all or whatever. Yeah, something like that. Now, um, I would like to. We're gonna get to the audience questions here. We've already been chatting for seventy five minutes. I don't want to take up too too much more of your time, but I'd like to ask uh, ask for you to tell us about anything upcoming you've got going on. Any anything. Um, yeah, anything you want to tell us about what, uh, yeah, your future, what 2021 holds for Potent Ponics? Sure. So um, uh, Marty, my uh, co-host of the podcast, and I um, just launched an online school. It's called APMJClass.com. You can check that out there. Um, it's um, not the cheapest class, but it is a, an extreme, extremely extensive class. It's um, over four days of filming uh Actually, I think we're over five now. Uh, we have tours of uh, facilities that we're going to be adding on there. And uh, it's a subscription service, so we're constantly adding content each month. We have over 600 lectures uh, with the base class, and then we're going to be adding, you know, uh, uh, 20 to 30, uh, you know, every two to three months. Uh, on top of that, kind of trickling them out five, five every two weeks or so. Nice. So now, um, You said it's not the cheapest, but how, how much is it? Sure. So the, the whole course is six fifty, um, and it comes with a, a, a full full class uh, over the whole. You know, it's about a week long uh, class, and then also has um, interactions with all of us as well uh, with Marty and myself, as well as um, uh, film lectures of the whole thing, and then referenced uh, tables, referenced pictures, um, uh, dosing tables, pest management stuff. Um, diagrams, 3D diagrams. We have build videos on uh, systems, large and small. Um, we're going to be putting out some real small ones for free here soon, but then we're going to also have, you know, all, all the commercial stuff really is kind of, uh, um, you know, yeah, not to pay for it. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, you know, again, uh, if you're going to make money off of it, you know, it's kind of, uh, kind of a little bit fair to ask for at that point. Definitely. What? Um, yeah, of course. I don't think that's unfair at all. I think you've spent um, a lot uh, of time learning. And, and the oh, fact you know, of the matter you know, is, is you're willing to share. It's just fucking. Yeah, and, uh, it had to Marty, we have over five hundred hours of content on the on the podcast, so we you know we are passionate about getting free information out there every week, and uh, yeah, you know, we definitely put two to four hours of, of content out each week. He's currently doing a bunch of uh, grow light comparisons right now, um, so if you're looking at um, comparing LEDs, definitely ch- check out him over APMJ, uh, AP Meds uh, on YouTube. Um, that's one of the current things that, that he's doing, but, um, uh, that's what I've been working on. And then uh, I have a bunch of cool stuff coming on. We're, we're doing a bunch of different conferences depending on the, on how the play goes. Yeah. Uh, and, um, um, <coughs> think of what else, uh, is going on. Uh, a lot of travel that's kind of going to depend on what the hell's going on here with the virus or anything else. And then, uh, just uh yeah i mean i have a big project going on in georgia that'll be coming up and then uh some other cool big projects in oklahoma and aquaponic cannabis is kind of uh exploding here um and then um you know if you're in oklahoma check out paragon powder or paragon powered products and then uh, little dankies um if you want to get some stuff that i make uh, you can get them in most of the major cities now in oklahoma that's awesome man Okay, cool. So let's let's hit it off with the with the uh, audience questions. <clears throat> First one is from your homegrown bud. I'd like to quickly say that this guy is actually the one who uh, introduced me to your account and and turned me on to this whole uh, method of growing. So I haven't started it yet, and I don't think I will until I own my own place. I currently rent. But anyways, he wants to know what books would you recommend to read more about aquaponics for a beginner home grower. 
Sure. Um, if you're if you're wanting to learn on uh, for larger scale stuff, um, Doctor um, uh, Wilson Leonard has a wonderful book called Commercial Aquaponics. It's a little bit pricey. I think it's like a hundred bucks, hundred and twenty bucks. Um, but it's really good if you're looking for larger scale systems or like you're building out your entire backyard kind of thing. Um, for small scale stuff, there's a really good book by um, Sylvia Bernstein called um, uh, Oh shit. I used to work for her. You should know this. Like uh, aquaponics step-by-step guide or something like that. Uh, Aquaponic gardening. That's the name of the book. Um, That's a good one. It's kind of entry level. Again, ignore a lot of the chemistry stuff. Um, In that book, it's it's a bit dated on a lot of that stuff, but the rest of it's pretty good in terms of design and and things like that for at least small systems. Nice. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I have a book I'm working on currently called Aquaponacea um, that uh, is going to be aquaponic cannabis geared uh, both home and, you know, some light commercial stuff, but uh, kind of advice. But, you know, again, that's more what the online school is for um, on the commercial stuff. But the book is going to be coming out, I'm hoping, at the by the end of the year. Um, it's about 80% written. I'm still filling out some sections that I want to flesh out more with the microbial stuff and and some other things. And then working on the uh, illustrations, we have a really cool guy that's helping me do the illustrations on the book. Um, so that's going to be really cool to have, uh, you know, really neat diagrams that are, you know, hand drawn and, and not just, uh, you know, pictures of SketchUp or something like that. So it'll be really neat to uh, kind of ha- add some personality to the book that way too. Awesome. So. And I'm curious, I, I, you're, are you active in the DMS? Like if people have comments, are you, are you, are you, you're awesome to answer. You're okay to answer kind of thing. Or yeah, sometimes it takes me a minute to get to the requested one. So if it sure. takes me a couple of days, whatever, but sure. But once um, you're there, you're, you're pretty... down to be, uh, to give the info, right? I mean, as a podcast host, I just assumed that I hate to put you on the spot, but you're, Oh yeah. And, I mean, you're and people can info. find me on YouTube at uh, potent ponics or SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, run all the things. Fucking um, you, know, you can reach me, whatever you want. And then, uh, potent ponics at Gmail is, is kind of the easiest way to get a hold of me because I check it so often because it works. So nice. Okay. So next question. Um, Is there a way to charge up the biofilter before you even start the plant in aquaponics? Absolutely. So you can um, dose it either with IMO or like we talked about with the IMO2 inoculation and then uh, previously, Uh, or you can um, even go ahead and add, add any of your soil microbes. You could add recharge or, um, mammoth pea or any of your other microbes that you would add to your soil mixes or you could um, um, you know we, we do a aquatic IMO collection through a bunch of ways uh, that are a bunch of different ways that are going to be part of my CANF uh, collection where we use utilize um, you know kind of sugar infused rice sugar infused sponges and then kind of um, um, it's, it's a method that I guess is kind of like a an aquatically adapted Rodale method, I guess, for lack of better um, explanation, um, where we're taking some plant roots, uh, blending them, and then brewing them, and and ending up with some, you know, incredible diversity that seems to have some very unique um, traits in terms of uh, terrestrial plant uptake. So um, we're we're working on that as well. That uh, I can't get into too specifically, but okay. Um, now, this question was asked 22 minutes ago, and sometimes I've noticed as doing these live interviews, uh, people will roll in a little late and they'll ask repeat questions. So even though you've already answered it, do you mind 
uh, answering this again. How do you make aquatic IMO? Sure. So, um, uh, like I was just saying, you can collect the roots of aquatic plants and then you can give them a, you know, just knock the, the mud off of them basically, or pull them out of the ones that aren't muddy, uh, and, or even aquatic plants. So a lot of aquatic plants actually house quite a few microbes. You got it. I was annoyed because we're getting into good stuff. Um, so, so I remember a lot of your aquatic plants, instead of housing their, their endophytes and ectophytes in their root system, house it directly in the leaf tissue because they're aquatic, right? They don't need to keep it solely in the roots. They can exchange through the leaf tissue as well for that mineral exchange. So they have quite a few microbes that function similarly to the ones in your roots that are actually in their leaf tissue themselves. So, um, you know, taking them and some roots from aquatic plants in this local stream or pond or lake that you have on your property or whatever, um, uh, have, uh, you know, whole other ways to, to benefit your plant. And remember 75 plus minus percent, 78%, but for the sake of argument, 75% uh, of those microbes will live in your soil for more than 72 hours, meaning they're going to benefit the plant in terms of mineralization uh, and, and do functions that would, you know, be beneficial. So, um, you know, just, just the same length that most of your tea microbes live, right? So um, these are these are great resources that people simply aren't tapping or aren't thinking of as resources that are already there in their their toolbox that are already on their property. Um, you know, this is stuff that e e even if you're not doing anything that I'm doing, you're just a, a regenerative soil grower. Um, this is still you know equally as as doable and, and beneficial to you as it is to me. No, Maybe not. Uh, you know, we we can keep most of those microbes a little bit alive longer in the aquaponics, but um, sure. either way, it helps quite a bit. So, sure. um, uh, uh, and then the other thing too is, you know, you can take um, rice or uh, sea sponges uh, and then soak them in, um, you know, a heavily sugared water uh, overnight uh, with an air stone or, you know, some other method, a little pump or something to circulate it and kind of infuse them that way and then throw them in a um, in an onion. Always at the juice. <laughs> um, okay, so, so, yeah. um, so you take the sponges and our rice and you can soak them overnight in a, kind of a sugar water solution and then put them in an onion bag or, or pantyhose or whatever uh, and um, throw that in the river uh, with a weight and a string. Uh, again, the, the thing is when you're doing a, a aquatic IMO that's really important is not to put it in stagnant water. Uh, you want to put it in moving water or at the very least oxygenated water. It doesn't have to be moving as long as it's highly oxygenated, right? And so if it's like a lake downstream from a rapids or something, like that's fine, even if it's pretty slow, as long as it's highly oxygenated. Uh, that's really the, the trick to it. You know, if you get into um, non-oxygenated water, we can get into some nasties that we do not want to add. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So now, um, can you can you collect IMO in the winter? Absolutely, yes. It, it doesn't um, colonize as fast, and you're only going to be able to collect on days 
you know, kind of above 42 to 45 degrees Fahrenheit. Very few fungi are going to do much, uh, you know, below 50 degrees Fahrenheit. So, you know, oyster, you know, yes, you can, but you're not, it's going to take two weeks or three weeks to do the same collection time, you know, and, and, and instead. So not a, yeah, not something okay. I recommend. But again, totally something that, that you can do just, you know, observe it more often, I guess would be your, the, the advice. Okay. So I and it's guess so in, in anything, below next, 30. anything below 30. I'm sorry. I guess there's lag. It's pointless. Anything below 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, cool. Now, um, <clears throat> green Central's wants to know how small of a tank can you go when doing aquaponics? So I think like, let's consider with four plants. So, um, I would, for four plants, I wouldn't do anything smaller than like 90 gallons um, okay. for a fish tank. Um, I would try to do bigger than that, but that would be, you know, generally it takes about 40 gallons of fish tank to grow, you know, a sizable plant uh, or two sizable plants, depending on what fish species and feed rate. Okay. Um, so, and I uh, guess here's the thing though, is that early in the, in the interview, you said that you get uh, quite a bit more growth. So, People who can grow for uh, or are are growing only for typically if they're doing that in a, say a five gallon pot, <clears throat> they're in a four by four tank now or tent. Now, growing four plants in aquaponics in a four by four tent, do you think you'd blow it out? No, no, you can totally grow four plants in aquaponics, and that's one of the things that we'll be launching here later this year. Is, is no, some no, sorry. Kit. I mean, I mean, will the four plants get too big for a four by four tent? No, not at all. Okay. As long as, as long as you don't veg them too long, the whole as long yeah. as you veg them right. So if you kept them at that same veg time, yeah, you're gonna have problems. Yeah. But as long as you back off on on how long you keep keep them in veg, you'll be all right. Okay, and then now let's consider autos, where you don't decide the veg, you don't necessarily decide the size unless you're gonna top early. Um, yeah, like do you, I guess, but they tend to stay a little smaller. But then I've got a friend who grows up fucking pound and a half auto you know and yeah i mean if you had a if you had a really tall one you'd have to train it you'd yeah. have to do a little bit of uh bending yeah. and uh and training but um nlst but you know i i wouldn't i haven't had the issue of overgrowing them with autos nice. i've done the last time i did autos was outdoor I'll, once in a while i'll get some seeds and we'll dabble with them and you know, a lot of times I'll give them to my veteran. You know, if someone comes to me and is a veteran or in pain or just wants to get into growing, and this is, I'll, I'll give them those first because, yeah. um, you know, I'm generally not as attached to those seeds as I would be uh, yeah. some of the other seeds in my collection. So, um, uh, uh, not to mention, like, it's it's just easier for them. They don't have to worry about as much. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit easier for entry-level growers to kind of get in and, and understand. Especially you know, on the hey, budget, right? You don't have to buy a timer either. You can just yep. run 24 hours if you, if you need to. Well, I, I'm not a fan of 24 hours. No. I think that there's certain chemical synthase that, that really do need sleep personally. But I agree, but you can is what I'm saying. Like it's, oh, yeah. you to, totally with an auto flower, you could just run 24 hours above it. Now, I definitely – I run that dark period with my autos for sure. Um, <clears throat> okay, so somebody wants you to re repeat the fish species. Sure. So I would recommend um, goldfish, corgi, and tilapia. 
are kind of the, the bulletproof ones. If you want, you know, kind of the best ones that are entry level that are a little bit more profitable, I'd say perch and bluegill. Um, they get pretty good plate price. Um, but, you know, they are more common fish in fishing, but in restaurants, they actually are pretty rare. So um, they're, they're pretty good priced. Nice. Okay. So here's a good, good one from Green Essentials again. You said last one. Um, what living thing besides fish can you use in the tank? Like, can I use crawfish, lobster, shrimp, etc.? Sure. So um, invertebrates generally don't do well. Um, the potassium levels and the magnesium levels tend to be lethal um, that we're running or close to lethal um, okay. with, with uh, aquaponics for, for cannabis. So you mean lethal um, to the plant, not to the human? To the to the invertebrate. Oh. So the okay. crayfish or the I see. Yeah. So the, what the plant needs is lethal to the fish itself or the invertebrate. Correct. Okay. Now, in Colorado, there is a alligator farm that is currently using alligator waste to feed lettuce that feeds the chicken that feeds the alligators. That's badass. You can, you can get all kinds of crazy closed loops with it, you know, when you scale it up, but you got to, you know, it's not going to be with crayfish or lobsters. It would be with something uh a little wilder than that, but you can absolutely use reptile waste or other wastes to do it, but you're going to have to add things like lactobacillus or other things to, you know, mitigate pathogen potential, you know, okay. probably. Yeah. I was wondering about snakes. I have not had anyone have enough biomass and snakes to do it. Could I do it chemically? Yes. Have I been approached by anyone that had a large enough snake collection to be able to facilitate a, a grow up? No. I mean, it'd be fun if you can find someone. The the coolest thing yeah. I think I've done in terms of off the wall shit like that would be, and I, and P, I, anyone that's taken my classes is, knows, knows about this. Um, I did a, uh, a facility where we we kind of beta tested a, a design to figure out what scale percentage uh, we needed to grow mushrooms to produce enough CO two uh, for cannabis growing. So phase <laughs> okay. of mushroom growing to supply the CO2 to make the cannabis grow rather than buying tanked CO2 or burning uh, carbon fuels. Um, we could actually just grow mushrooms and profit off of it and make CO2 that way. Yeah. So that was a cool, you know, experiment. Yeah, that's very cool. I like yeah. that. Some psilocybin producing. Oh man, that's dope. Anyways, the CO2 for the room, because that's expensive too, if you're running tanks, right? Like, well, we were, we weren't we weren't we were running oysters and and other stuff we weren't doing the the fun stuff but obviously that was the uh the ultimate goal would be I to see. do a, a dual commercial system but uh, this see. was strictly r d on what what was the square footage of mushroom production in what life stage in order to produce the the amount of co2 we did needed to maintain the room at 11 to 1200 ppm that being said CO2. oyster mushrooms are still a commodity and you can still sell those Right? Oh, yeah. So it's like, that's, yeah, it's just as badass. Now, um, somebody's wondering, is anybody using Asian carp in a... In no, Asian carp and grass carp are heavily restricted now in aquaculture. Um, the the uh, Department of Wildlife is, oh. you know, not having that anymore. So, um, you know, they're, they're pretty much, uh, not to mention, like, the plate price for them is terrible. Um, I mean, I could go out there and and take a boat, you know, I, I'm a big fan of bow fishing. I can go out and bow fish, you know, enough to feed a small village in about two hours in a canoe, right? Like there's no, yeah, there's no money in it. No, not at all. Okay. Um, well, let me think, or let me,
me see if there's any more questions. I think we're all done, man. Is there anything you want to add? There's a, a weird question in chat. It says I've heard turkey tails produce around 1,600 to 1,800 ppms at five gallon of medium. Um, ppms of what? CO2, I think That's is what they're talking about. Oh, CO2. Okay, okay. I thought you meant minerals. I was like, never mind. Yeah, no, CO2, I think. Turkey tails are a, t a kind of mushroom, correct? Yeah, yeah, no, I'm familiar with them medicinal. I did a lot of foraging as well, but I was just kind of curious as to, I thought he was talking about them in terms of like a compost um, total PPMs and, and tea. It was a misunderstanding on my part. Overthinking it. Yeah, yeah no worries. Um, using oyster mushrooms to clean soil is super awesome. Anyways, man, yeah, is there anything that you want to add? Any shout outs, anything like that? Oh, we're losing you. See if we'll keep them in. Still got caught. Yeah. Say in the Daria musical. God, God damn it. Anyways, um. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think that's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you can find me at Potent Ponics, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, um, all the Spotify. things. Spotify. Um, and then if you want to take, you know, I have the online school at apmjclass.com, and then we have the nutrients over at APM, uh, apmjnutes.com. Yeah. So, uh, One last thing. Um, somebody in the, com in the comments, when we were talking about your class, it's not 650 a week from what I understood. It was 650 yeah, a whole class, right? Yeah, that's the whole class, but we continue to do updates in the future. So it's, you know, you're not just getting that base class of the 600 lectures. We're, we're adding oh, so new content. You've, you've bought it and it's like a, it's a continuous growing thing where you're going to keep getting more yeah. content. Yeah, so we already have the base class that I've been teaching since 2013. Um, it's been featured in High Time, Dope Magazine, every podcast you can think of at this point. Um, and, uh, yeah, all Even kinds of people. Um, and then, um, uh, so we've kind of digitized that with the virus and everything. People can't travel, and, you know, it just kind of became too hard to try and just teach people so uh we, we've digitized that and we're going to update stuff so if we decide we we change our mind on something we're just going to replace the video on it and record a new section on it and change the slides on it and it's all compartmentalized so it makes it easy for us to update if something changes over time if we want to add content to an old topic we can go back and add depth to that and it makes it really flexible for us as teachers to provide a ton of content so you guys you guys get notified every time we add content so it, it kind of makes it a really cool interactive school and kind of the best interactive experience that you can have, you know, remotely, um, you know, and, and allows us to really have kind of a different experience. And then people can still email us with questions. And what we decided we're going to do is if you email us with a question. Shit. The Internet's mad now. It's like, no, we're going to do this over <laughs> back.
here we go. <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to take those uh, questions and we're going to put them into video answers. So we're going to ask the question first on video, and then we're going to have a whole section that's going to be a brand new section as the in the class that's student questions. So um, this way you you have that same kind of experience as if you took the class from us in person and we're we're answering your question. Yeah. But yeah. and that's just only going to grow over time, right? Yeah. So that's going to cumulative. Uh, kind of pool of questions that people have asked us about our content. So uh, it, it's going to help create this this wonderful education database that's going to be kind of, you know, with its own ecosystem. And then, hey, if you want to follow our stuff, we can sell you the nutrients for it too. And if you want to dose it yourself, hey, you, you know how to do, you know, a lot of it now on your own. You don't, you know, wherever you want to source it if you're somewhere far away. Um, but the idea is, is that, hey, if we give you the knowledge, you know, hopefully you'll support us a little bit that way too. Yeah, dude, that's dope. I like it. Um, and it also will create like a coveted spot for your students to like try and ask a question that gets thrown up there too, right? It's going to be, uh, yeah, dude, I love it. I really, really love it. I want to say thank you so much for your commitment to this interview. Uh, coming back <laughs> every time when we dropped out and stuff, man, I really, really appreciate it. Your time um, and everything that you're doing. It's, uh, it's giving me goosebumps just thinking about that interview, dude. That was awesome. Cool. And uh, if anybody else wants to check out more of me today and continue to listen to Drone On, I'll be on the Smokehouse Shit Show tonight. Um, you can find them on, I think they're live on Facebook. It might be YouTube. I'm not sure. It's actually, it's an in-person one. I'm actually driving there and, and sitting down with them. Um, so it's, it's not the normal stream in. So that's why I'm not entirely sure uh, on the hosting. Okay. So it's Smokehouse Shit Show? Yep. Go. <laughs> So Google that shit, and I'm sure you'll you'll find the live stream. Now, what time are you going on? Uh, that's live at 6 o'clock CST. CST. 6 p.m. Yep. CST. Dope, man. I'm going to do my best to, to be there. But, uh, cool. yeah, thanks again, Steve. I really appreciate it. And I think that you're doing wonderful things in the world, uh, not only in cannabis. It's uh, – it's refreshing to meet somebody like you. So keep it up, man. I also want to give a, a quick shout out. Chris Chump was in here earlier. And then also um, uh, Jordan from Growcast was in here. Uh, Marty and I just did a wonderful uh, interview with him uh, uh, over there on Growcast. It's a um, uh, uh, really good episode. And then also, uh, you know, show Jordan some love. Uh, the Growcast guys have had a, a bit of a rough month or two. And, um, you yeah. know, uh, definitely a, a, a big loss for our community and, uh, uh, definitely want to show him some love right now. They definitely need it over there. So if you got an extra couple bucks, definitely go support those guys because, uh, you know, we try to, to help our community when they, when they need it. For sure. They actually just revamped and, and their whole membership program and they're on Patreon now with a lot of exciting shit. I know that Jordan's passion has turned very inward on this, on Growcast and he's fucking killing it. Um, the episode you guys did was full of some amazing tidbits. I really enjoyed that episode. So, yeah, for those of you who want to hear more of Steve's voice today, go listen to that episode and then catch him on uh, the Smokehouse Shit Show at 6 yeah. p.m. P or not PST, CST. And uh, check out Chris Trump's online class, too. I think it launches this week or next week. I'm not sure which, but if you're so, looking to learn more from, from KNF stuff, be sure to – I wanted to plug that, too, because the, he's put yeah, a ton yeah. of work into it, and it's a great course. Do you know Chris Trump's uh, handle on Instagram? Uh, uh, at Soil Smith. Soil Smith. Boom. 
I'll try and I'll get them tagged in the in the uh, whatever description. Okay, man. Well, thanks so much. Cool. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Peace. All right, guys. That was Steve from uh, at Potent Ponics. What a fucking awesome, awesome interview. I know that uh, Soils Steward. <clears throat> Maybe we got it wrong. Uh, but anyways, yeah, that was that was great. I appreciate all of you guys sticking around for the interview. And until next time, everybody, I'm Jesse B. Always baked, but never burnt. Cheers. <laughs>